place. I could resist that and suffer. It's our resistance to our truth. It's our resistance to our purpose. It's our resistance to our authenticity that creates more suffering. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans Podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans, and boy, you guys are in for a treat today. This next guest is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He's an author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, The Magic of Surrender. He's widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been featured on Larry King Live, Fox and Friends, Dr. Drew, as well as Inc. Magazine, calls him the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. His career started at the age of 18, at, excuse me, at the age of eight, talking in front of about 3,000 people. And at age 18, he was speaking in front of 300 venues. And boy, we are so excited about diving into so many different aspects of what he's been able to do. Please welcome my next guest, the one and only, Cute Blackson. How you today, Cute? Good. How are you? I am doing fantastic, man. And you know what's what's exciting about your your background? I've listened to a lot of your accolades and a lot of your interviews, and there's just so much that we could dive into. But I really want to start out with really the emphasis of the magic of surrender, right? Which is your book, sure. and I think this is such a cool concept because I want to start out with this: At what point in your life did you have to surrender, and what did you surrender to? Um, I think there have been many moments of surrender in my life, many times. I think life is a process of surrender itself, and life is a series of surrenders, and we're given opportunities moment to moment to moment to let go of what's no longer aligned. And I think for all of us, the next level of our life requires the next level of us. The next level of us requires that we let go of what's no longer authentic, what's no longer true. It requires a level of letting go, a level of sacrifice, a level of dying to who we were. The challenge is as human beings, I think we tend to hold on to who we were. We tend to hold on to what we know. We tend to hold on to what's comfortable for safety, for security, not realizing that holding on to what's not aligned is actually blocking our blessing. And so, um, for me, there have been many moments of surrender. I think one of the first moments of surrender was as a young boy, um, probably at the age of, at least consciously at the age of 17, 17 and a half, in that, for me, I grew up in a bit, bit of an unusual environment, although as a kid, I thought it was normal. I thought this was everyone's experience. So just to give it a bit of context, um, my first memories as a young kid was... Uh, being a chubby kid lost in the crowd. And I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man who would invite a woman to stand up out of a wheelchair, this man was my father. And so he was considered a miracle man of Africa. He was a miracle worker, so to speak. I literally grew up seeing real life miracles every day as a kid. The type of stuff that you wonder, is this is this real? I mean, I, I saw it. And so he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, has hundreds of had hundreds of thousands of followers. He had a huge church in London, about four to 5,000 people every Sunday. So I grew up in this environment. And at age eight, I started speaking in my father's church at 14. I was ordained as, as a minister. 
given the, the sort of man, uh, the mandate to take over my father's church, uh, announced to be his successor. But I knew as a young boy that this wasn't my path. I knew as a young boy, I felt in my gut, you know, that feeling that you know that we often get, that this wasn't my journey. And at 14, I was too afraid, to be honest, uh, to tell the truth, to speak the truth. Like so many of us, we allow fear to stop us from being who we truly are. We allow fear to stop us from living our dreams and being authentic. And so for about four years, I said, I said nothing and had a tremendous inner conflict. But when I turned 18, 17, 17 and a half, almost 18, this is when uh, I realized I, I had to surrender. I looked into my future and I realized I had certain choices to make. I, on one hand, I felt my soul calling me in a completely different direction. I felt guided to come to the US. I felt guided to come to America. I felt guided to, um, I wanted to go into the self-help spiritual field, the personal development field, uh, like many of the authors and teachers I read about. And my soul was, you know, sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient and doesn't always make sense to your mind. And yet I believe that whenever you follow your soul, you will always be guided in the right way, even though the route that you take may not be the one that you most expect. And so as I looked into my future, I saw I, I could take the expected path. I could take over my father's church. I could fulfill what he expected for me, what everyone wanted for me. But when I projected into that future, I felt such a deep pain. I felt such a deep sadness. I felt a sense of, uh, of self-betrayal and the feeling of if I lie to myself now, I'm going to have to lie to myself for the rest of my life. And what kind of success is it to have the world but not have yourself? And the pain felt so deep that um, I knew what I had to do. And it was a profoundly terrifying and scary moment. So I would say that was a, a first moment of surrender, a first moment of like consciously realizing that I had to let go in order to follow my truth and follow my soul. And so that's when I had that conversation with my father and told him I'm not taking over and, and, and left everything behind. But it was terrifying. It was scary. We didn't speak for about two years, uh, maybe more. And it was deeply challenging. But what I will say is when I followed my soul, and still had no idea what I was going to do, how it was going to happen, how things would unfold. Um, long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery. And that's what enabled me to come to the US with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, just following a dream. And so that was, that was an initial reference of feeling something, feeling a deeper, authentic pull, trusting that, going in that direction and seeing the universe and life unfolding in ways that I honestly could not have planned. And that gave me a, a lot of um, affirmation that I was on the right track and a lot of affirmation that there was a, a deeper intelligence of life that was guiding me. So and I really appreciate you sharing that and the frustration of that journey, right? But also that authenticity that you had to come to grips with you with yourself and if you could Q, just imagine yourself back 
and having that conversation with your father and having your identity so involved, maybe your self-esteem, maybe your self-image, like that's that's who you are, right? And they kind of like readjusting and saying, no, that's not who I am, right? There was this mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know, conflict, right? Mm-hmm. This is what the world wants me to be, but I want to be this, et cetera, whatever that was. Um, was there a mentor that came along and helped you unpack that? Or were there, what were the deflating thoughts that came through? Were like, did you feel valuable? Did you feel like you were capable of doing something great? Like, I'm just curious during that time, imagine that, that period of time, what was going through your head? And, and also, you know, making sure having that tough conversation, um, you know, how did you approach that exactly? Uh, yeah, there was no mentor. Um, I was terrified. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the truth. Um, full of fear. Sometimes people think that when you find your, your calling or your path or your guidance and you follow your purpose, like it's easy and things unfold. But the truth is, um, I was terrified. And yet I knew, I knew inside of myself what I had to do. And I could deny it. I think many of us, you know, I think what often keeps us stuck as human beings uh, in so many ways are all the ways we lie to ourselves. We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. And then the challenges in the mind, talking about the thought, we often rationalize. The mind has a sneaky way of working where we often rationalize and justify why we do what we do to, to, to ultimately keep us safe and and so um scared terrified but there was a knowing and so i think as human beings we constantly for reasons we can get into we lie to ourselves about who we are about what we feel about what our truth is sometimes we don't even know that we're lying to ourselves we're so it's so ingrained we're so conditioned to protect to survive um, to avoid pain, to get love, to get validation. Uh, and so I think that in order to be free, like, like what I realized was you cannot be truly fulfilled and happy. I could not be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that I'm not. I could not be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. And so I think in order to be free, we have to be willing to tell ourselves the truth. And that's, that's where I had to begin. And so I would just ask everyone to sit with the question. It's a simple question, like, what lies am I telling myself? It can often be scary and terrifying to even ask oneself the question because the fear is, if I tell the truth to myself, then what are the consequences of that? If I tell the truth, for me, the fear was, if I tell the truth to myself, the consequences, I'm going to lose my father's love. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be outcast. I'm not going to have anyone's love. I'm going to be by myself. Everyone's going to abandon me. And and on one level, it it, it kind of happened, you know? And and so I think in many ways, because we're afraid of the consequences, we don't tell ourselves the truth. We suppress the truth. We deny the truth. But if we're willing to just start acknowledging the truth, I think to me, truth, the willingness to tell ourselves the truth is the beginning of transformation. And there is no freedom. There is no transformation without truth. So we have to want to be free more than we want what we have and more than we want what we think we want. And so for me, the place to begin that I started with as a young man was just asking, okay, what lies am I telling myself? And just beginning there, you know? And, and so I think when we don't tell ourselves the truth and we don't acknowledge the truth, it's painful. 
it's meant to be painful. When we lie to ourselves and we're not in integrity, it's meant to be painful. To me, the pain isn't a bad thing. The pain is a blessing. The pain is a gift. The pain is feedback. The pain is a messenger. The pain is simply showing us where we are not in alignment. The pain is showing us what we're not, that there was some part of ourselves, our deeper soul, our deeper self that we are actually not listening to. And the pain is actually our friend, but just in our culture, we have been conditioned to avoid the pain. You know, you switch on a TV commercial as a kid and we're taught, wow, you feel pain? Hey, pop this pill. You feel pain? Drink this, buy this thing, do this thing. And so in our culture, what we do is when we feel pain, we distract ourselves. We drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, porn it away, smoke it away, shop it away, social media away, work it away, whatever it is to not feel the pain, not realizing that it's just perpetuating, keeping us stuck. And so if we're willing to, to acknowledge the pain as feedback and we're willing to ask ourselves, what is the message, the messenger of this pain? And then use the pain as a mirror, use the pain to course correct, then I think we can bring ourselves back into integrity, back into authenticity, back into a truth, back into alignment. And so for me, the pain was great. The pain of self-betrayal, the pain of knowing I was not living in alignment was, was so, it was so great that I couldn't deny, I mean, I could have denied it, but I couldn't deny it. And I think that's what, for me, as a young man, drove me in the direction of, I, I, have, to, I have to follow what I feel inside, even though I'm terrified, even though I'm scared. I think what scared me more was the thought of living a life for the rest of my life. That if I live this life now, I'm going to have to live this life for the rest of my life. And that, I think, terrified me more and that's what drove me to have the conversation even though I had no idea what I was doing I just knew I had to do it well you know you're you're saying some really good stuff Q and I really appreciate building this out and I want to ask you because I find the magic of surrender so interesting mm -hmm. the reason why is because we hear that yeah but yet we like certainty and we like control right okay and with the the concept of surrender we have to basically give up control and we have to have the yeah. faith or believe that, okay, uncertainty will happen. And I, I want to ask, you know, kind of mm -hmm. unpacking this at a, at a more of micro level, you know, how do you embrace that? Like what, what are proper ways to ensure yourself, Hey, when I'm surrendering, this is the right way. Because like you mentioned, there is going to be pain and having the right expectation. This is going to mm -hmm. be frustrating. This can be uncomfortable. And majority of us, we don't like uncomfort, right? We like comfort. We like certainty. We like certain things that are like consistent. And so in this, it's just such an interesting concept because we hear if this. You, if, if you don't like, if you want total comfortability, don't be alive. If you want total comfortability, live in the cemetery. But even in the cemetery, the worms and the insects will start eating you alive. And so the truth is, life is a constant process of change. There's no way out of that. That is the only, the only certainty is that life is uncertain. And even when we think that we're certain, the certainty that we think we have is really an illusion. It's an illusion of certainty. Not so, so you can be certain that there is no certainty. 
And when you can surrender to that and the nature of life, because the nature of life is impermanent, the nature of life is transitory, the nature of life is duality, the nature of life is creation, destruction, is change. And I think when you can embrace that and the nature of what is, it starts freeing you. The challenge is we resist that. We try to avoid that. And that creates more suffering. And so in terms of surrender, and I'd like to break it down because you're asking a really important question. I'd like to break down from a few different angles. This idea of surrender. First, I will say the book about surrender that I wrote, The Magic of Surrender, is not the book I wanted to write. It was not the book I thought I was going to write. I had all of these ideas, certain ideas of, of I was looking for certainty, ideas the books I was certain were going to be successful, books I was certain my publisher would want, books I was certain would be a New York Times bestseller, books I was certain would expand my brand, books I was certain, you know, would sell. The truth is, man, when I looked at my strategic, clever thinking, none of those ideas I came up with felt aligned, felt authentic, felt true. They were great, but none of those felt truly in integrity. The only idea when coming up with this concept of the book, The Magic of Surrender, that felt certain, felt certain, felt true, if I was going to be really honest with myself, was the, was the theme of surrender. It scared me. It terrified me. I thought, shit, I don't know if I want to write a book about surrender because, you know, we, we as you mentioned, it can seem scary. And, and, and it's like going to the dentist. You know you should do it, but you, you kind of resist it for the reasons you're saying about one's identity, which we're going to get into. But I felt that this was the book, if I was truly honest, this was the book that was seeking to be written. This was the book that was seeking to come through. And I could resist that. And many of us do in our own ways. I could resist that and suffer. It's our resistance to our truth. It's our resistance to our purpose. It's our resistance to our authenticity that creates more suffering. It, it, it's what creates more suffering. It, that's what constipates our life. So when I finally said, I surrender to the book that is seeking to be written and that it has a soul of its own, that's when it was a little scary. So shit, how am I going to write a book about surrender? And will people want to read it? And that's when things unfolded. And that's when it felt like I was writing, a, I, I was catching a wave. And that's what I want people to understand is there is a misconception that we have in our culture today about surrender. The misconception is that surrender is weak, surrender is passive, that surrender is giving up, that surrender is waving the white flag, that if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat, victim, left behind, you know, abused, trodden on, you know, weak in some way. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires. If you surrender, you're going to get less in life. I'm actually saying this is a misconception of true surrender. That if you, I'm saying if you truly understand surrender, and my vision is to reframe surrender, if you really understand surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, more than you could have 
intended and projected and willed and, and, and controlled and manipulated? What if you got more than you could have even planned with your limited mind and ego as an identity's perspective? What if you got more, more than, maybe not what you expected, but more? If you really, if all of us, if we really look at the best things, the best things in our life that happen, the best things, meeting your soulmate, meeting that thing that, did you plan it? Most of the time, you didn't plan that at six o'clock you're going to meet your wife, your husband, your spouse, that put, it just happened in the most unexpected way in the process of living life itself. If we look at the best things in our life that happened, most of us, we didn't plan. They just unfolded. Whilst we were living life, doing the best that we could, it would just grace. And so, to me, surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. Surrender is the true secret to manifestation. Surrender is the real key to the next level. Surrender is the real password to freedom. If I look at all of the truly great ones, people think, oh, surrender is weak. So, oh. If you look at the really great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali. These were no weaklings. If you look at the truly great ones, they all surrendered themselves. They all at some point surrendered themselves to God, surrendered themselves to the universe, surrendered themselves to the divine, surrendered themselves to their deeper truth, surrendered themselves to that purpose that was bigger than themselves, surrendered themselves to their authenticity. In that surrender, they all they, they, they transcended, they went beyond their own human ego's limitations because they were ordinary people, many of them, but did extraordinary things. And in that surrender, they got themselves out of the way. And that's when life, that's when God, that's when the universe, that's when whatever you might believe in, something bigger than themselves manifested through them. That's when the magic, the true magic, the true miracles that that's when that next level happens. That's when greatness comes through. And I think we all have that capacity and all of these folks were showing us the possibility. Did they know what was gonna happen? Did Mandela plan? Well, you know what? I have a vision for my country, free, you know, free apartheid. I have a vision to free people. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan to spend, I want certainty. I'm gonna plan to spend 26, seven years in prison. Then I'm gonna come out and then guaranteed I'm gonna be president and change the world. Was that a guarantee? Was that a plan? Should he have not spent 27 years in prison? No, but he surrendered to a calling. He surrendered to the deep impulse. He surrendered to the vision and he moved in that direction. It, it, it took him to prison. It took him to prison. Should he have, what if he didn't spend that 27 years in prison? Would that have been better? Maybe it was the 27 years in prison that he, he needed to ripen, to cook, to marinate, to deepen his vision, to cultivate deeper compassion, to cultivate more forgiveness, to cultivate deeper humility, so that his ego identity personality could be marinated, cooked, ripened enough so that he was truly ready to be able to serve humanity in the way his highest destiny was seeking to unfold. And so in so many ways as human beings, we seek certainty. We're going to talk about that in a second. But what I want people to know is that all the great ones surrendered. 
I mean, this is going to be a little controversial, but but I think everyone can people can handle it. Elon Musk, love him or hate him, that's a whole nother question. But I'm even to propose this dude surrendered. Yeah, Elon Musk, business surrender is surrender just for holy men in the Himalayas. No, as an example. PayPal, sells PayPal, makes his $200 million. Most of us would ride off into the sunset and buy an island and just disappear and conserve our cash. He felt a calling, whatever you want to call it, like, hey, uh, uh, Solar City, hey, Tesla, hey, you know, SpaceX, bet his entire fortune on it. That's a version of surrender. That's an example of surrender, of following, following your truth. That is surrender. And so surrender is a letting go of control, or I should say the illusion of control. Control is the master addiction. And the truth is we think we're in control, but we're really not. Let's, let, let me give you a, a, a clear example, right? 2020 hit, 2020 hit. We all had these plans. 2020 is going to be the best year ever. I'm gonna do this, achieve that, and 20, boom. What, hell, what the hell happened? Maybe we're not as in control as we thought as human beings. Lockdown, pandemics, talk, what kind of control in that? And so I think it's almost like the universe put us into all as a humanity, a global seminar on surrender. We were forced to surrender. And I think we will be reminded that hey, none of you little human beings are really in control because we were. None of us could plan that stuff. It just happened. And so I think on some level, as a humanity, we are being initiated into, our consciousness is being evolved into a new, a new species, a new way of living that is shifting from the old ego-based model and paradigm of control to living more in alignment with life and the soul. And I think the last couple of years, love it or hate it, on a deeper spiritual level is the evolutionary process of us all being invited to awaken to a new way of living, of learning how to surrender, learning how to embrace uncertainty. Because I mean, the last couple of years have been freaking uncertain. Lockdown, no open, no close, no open. Are we gonna open? It's kind of like, talk about a seminar on being forced to deal with what the hell is gonna happen on the planet and recession and this. And so there is no side note. There is no certainty in the world. When you understand the nature of this domain, this reality out here, there is no certainty out here. There's birth and there is death and there is change, creation and destruction. The world is impermanent. If you're looking for perfection and certainty out here, you will never find it. You will never be free. And if your certainty and your sense of self, your sense of validation, your sense of who you are, your sense of confidence is based on stuff out here, you will be a slave. That is not true freedom. True freedom is an inner process of being connected to who you are. And so on a global spiritual level, I think the last few years have been very profound because all those places that as human beings, we have held onto for a sense of certainty. Oh, my job. Oh, my CEO title. Oh, my millions of dollars. Oh, my, my crypto. Wow. God forbid you had your money in FTX or, you know, Bitcoin, 60,000. 60, oh, shit. 20,000, 17,000. What the hell happened? Certainty. There's no certainty out here. And so the true 
certainty, the true certainty is being connected to who you really are. So the question becomes, who am I really? And this is what we must find. This is what we must ask. The world is a realm of duality, interdependent polaric opposites. That's the nature of life. Up, down, black, white, yin, yang, good, bad, positive, negative, constantly changing. The body constantly dissolving, changing. It, the body I have now is not the same body a year ago, 10 years ago, and it won't be the same. We are an uncertain physicality. It's constantly changing the nature of life. When we can embrace that, there's a deeper freedom because then you start looking for happiness, for joy, for certainty out here. It's the depth of your being because your spirit, your being, your essence, what we really are is beyond form, but we've been conditioned out of it. And so surrender is to let go of control, the illusion of control. Surrender is when we stop trying to force life to fit our you know, limited idea of what we think it should be, which is another form of control. Because we feel like if I can control everything, then I'm going to be safe. Then it's going to be certain. And it's not. And so it's a game we can't win. If I can control my spouse, if I can control my job, if I can, it's impossible. So it's a zero, it's a dead end game. Surrender is letting go of the idea of how you think life should be and who you think it should be so that you can be available to the authentic life that is seeking to unfold, the authentic life that is seeking to happen. Now, surrender. Yes, it can seem, as you mentioned, it can seem a bit scary, especially for one's identity and ego, which seeks certainty. What, what resists surrender is ego. And it's ego that seeks certainty. Ego is what we have been conditioned to believe that we are. Ego is what we've been conditioned to believe that we are. Coot, Christian. So cootness, Christianness now, want certainty. The ego's job, and, and so ego is what we believe ourselves to be based on name, body, form, condition, past, history, memory, stories, traumas, successes, past, memories, history. Ego. Ego what we believe ourselves to be. But ego is not a thing. Ego is a process. It's a process of identification that we mistakenly believe ourselves to be. And so we actually think that this is what we are. And the ego's job is to protect us. The ego's job is to reinforce its existence I am existing, I am certain. And the ego's job is to protect us from ever getting hurt again like we were hurt back then, like we were hurt when we were kids. And so it's the ego, our perceived sense of self, that we think we are, but, not, but we're actually not. The ego's job reinforces its existence, protects us from getting hurt. And so it's the ego that is afraid of surrender. It's the ego that resists surrender. Because for the ego, 
what we think we are, but we're actually not. Because the ego is just a pattern of identification, a pattern of conditioning. But it's ego, surrender, is terrifying. Surrender feels like a, a death. If I surrender, I'm going to die. If I surrender, how will I survive? If I surrender, how will I function? If I surrender, I'm going to get hurt again. And so here's the thing. What I want people to understand is that surrender, in fact, it feels scary. It seems scary. But in truth, I'm going to propose that surrender is the most natural thing. I'm actually going to propose that surrender is actually easy. It's just that we've been conditioned opposite. So I'm making, for those listening on audio, I'm making a fist and I'm holding a pen. Imagine this is who we are. This is Coop. This is Christian. This is Susie. This is John. And, and I'm holding this fist very tightly, holding this pen very tightly. And if I hold this pen tightly enough, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable. It's going to feel more uncomfortable. But if I do this for a few months, a few years, it's going to feel natural. And I'm holding this fist very tightly. So if I say, let this pen go, drop the pen, surrender the pen, it's actually easy. But because we've been conditioned, it actually feels difficult. We've become so identified with this posture, this way of being, this Christianness, this coopness, this, this is who I am. That, I mean, how easy is it to let go? But it feels difficult. And so if you look at when we were children, as children, we were surrendered. As children, you were in the flow. You were in the moment, right? You, you would hug people. You, you weren't shy. You would run naked, you know, pee. You didn't care. You, were, you, you know, we would, we would sing. We didn't care, right? If We didn't dance like Michael Jackson, sing like Bruno Mars, but we were free. We were surrendered. We, before we were so, so what the hell happened? We were so surrendered. It was surrender is our nature. What happened? What happened is we incarnate. What happened is we meet our parents. What happened is our parents were doing just the best that they could do based on their past, based on their history, based on their conditioning. And so now we're born into a preset pattern of conditioning, of, of, of dysfunction, of trauma. Maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe they're good people, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. So two things happen. And this speaks to what you're saying. Two things happen. The first thing is we learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect, not feel. They're screaming all the time. Are, our emotional needs are being met. Shut down, disconnect, not feel. Suppress, 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 suppress. Suppress the feeling of pain. Suppress the feeling of abandonment. Suppress layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt, unprocessed feeling build up over time. Our true light, our true essence gets hidden underneath these layers. And now we learn all sorts of walls, mechanisms erecting around our hearts to a form of control. We learn how to control emotion to not feel the pain so that we don't get hurt again. And we hold on to this 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 mechanism of controlling oh i don't care i i i'm gonna feel numb i'm not gonna feel anything uh, who give who i'm gonna be independent so that i don't have to feel the lack of my needs being met and so now we learn a way of controlling as a way to not get hurt again in that way of being that we often unconsciously learn becomes ego that works for us when we were five and seven and ten but it stops working for us or starts limiting us now that we're 25 and 35, and it now starts getting in the way of our ability to open our hearts and receive love, 
but oh shit, now I'm in relationship. And to open my heart and receive love is terrifying because maybe if I open my heart and I receive your love, I might not have my needs met again. And that was so painful. So my walls are up. This is ego. So to, to, to surrender my, my walls, to surrender my independence, to surrender my protective mechanism that I, that I think is who I am, feels terrifying for a reason. And so then we learn as children all sorts of strategies to contort ourselves into a shape to, into a shape to get love, validation, and approval. We become who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, approval. We develop a role, a mask, a persona to get love, validation, approval. For me as a young boy, I thought I needed to be the perfect son, the nice guy, the responsible one, the caretaker, the one who took care of everyone, the yes person, the one everybody liked, so that my dad would love me, right? I'm the preacher, the, the, the healer's son. And so we become the version of ourselves that we think we need to become. And we think, or we say, well, this is just who I am. I'm just this way. The thing is, it's an identity. And so is who we are, who we really are, or is it just what we've been conditioned to be? So what we often don't realize is that we've all been conditioned to avoid pain, get love validation approval. We can turn ourselves into a shape. This becomes our, our, our identity. And we hold so tightly to this way of being that seem to work, but it limits us in certain ways. So now you say surrender? It's like, shit, <laughs> that's terrifying. I'm not surrendering this because I might get hurt again. I might not be loved. I might not be validated. And, and no, no, this, this is me. But it's just a pattern. What we've become is a pattern. That pattern is not what we are. And when we realize that this pattern of personality is not what we are, there's a freedom that starts unfolding. And so when you can see, so the first step is to realize that the version of ourselves that we become is not what we are. It's a pattern of conditioned, conditioning, that that's not what we are. And when we can then start to observe ourselves, in quotation marks, observe our pattern, sometimes surrender is not even making ourselves surrender. Sometimes surrender is not even fighting. Sometimes surrender is noticing that we're not surrendering. Sometimes surrender is noticing that we're resisting surrendering and not to force ourselves to surrender, but to get into relationship with ourselves and actually learn how to hold ourselves with compassion because the patterns that we have become were developed for a reason. And so the ability to meet ourselves, our fears, our resistances with love, with kindness, with compassion, can allow us to, or I should say, can allow the ego to begin to relax. And so we don't have to control the process of surrendering because then that creates more resistance from the ego. It's like, no, I'm not going to surrender. But when we can just hold ourselves with that understanding, then we can meet ourselves with love. And loving, like healing is applying loving to ourselves. Healing is applying loving to those parts of ourselves that are hurting. 
in, in, in those parts of ourselves that are hurting and the parts of us that tend to need to control. Like if I can, if I can figure out everything and understand everything, then, then I can control everything and I can't get hurt. And when we understand, oh, okay, got it. I see, I see the positive intention behind these limiting behaviors. Don't have to surrender it, but I understand it. And I can meet it with love. Then the resistance can relax and surrender can begin blossoming. And so when you understand the nature of something, it changes your relationship with something. When you understand the nature of what you are and what you're not in your patterns, it changes your relationship with it. And then you don't have to fight yourself and you can learn how to work with yourself so that you can begin, so that surrender can begin happening. So, so just, just, just one quick thing is when I went to Thailand, I remember going, going to Thailand and meeting one of the, the, the great snake, should we call it, snake trainers. And the man comes out, <laughs> bro, the man comes out and he has a cobra in front of him. And he stuck for the next 30 minutes, he starts dancing with the cobra. And, and then eventually he looks at the cobra and he, he kisses the cobra. I'm freaked out, man. I'm like, I'm like terrified. Many of us are terrified when we think about surrender. And I'm terrified thinking about he's about to get killed. And he's, he's holding the cobra, he's kissing the cobra. The ego is like a cobra. So I asked this man, are you not afterwards? How are you not afraid? And he said a similar thing. He said, when you understand the nature of something, it changes your relationship with it. He said, I just understand the nature of the cobra and how it sees that it can't see. It can't see from certain angles. And if I understand that, understand how it moves, what it does, I'm no longer afraid. So when we can understand that we are not the ego, that we are not this body, that we are not these little patterns, that it's not what we really are, it, it changes things. And when we can meet ourselves with loving, it changes things. Anyway, that was a long answer to your question. So, so powerful though. So powerful. And I just appreciate you just going with it, Coop, because really I love what you said specifically, and I want to loop in on this, illusion of control. First of all, we have to acknowledge that as truth and realize we don't have that. That is an illusion, and it is something that we like to tell ourselves, and we think we have control. Uh -huh. And then also, I love how you mentioned the ego, uh, and I was going to loop back around on that because it is so important, and just really making sure that you're obviously aware of that. And also, surrender is easy, right? It's a misconception that we think we have. It's like, hey, we can let go of that pen, like your analogy, and just so beautiful. And I want to ask in regards to because you mentioned this really getting rid of the ego embracing mm. humility and then as well as i really changing that identity of who we are right and that's my question a little bit is doing your journey right because years right years you spent right beside your father you were this this is what you know maybe that culture this is where you were going to be right and all of a sudden you had to pivot, you realize that that was not aligned integrous with who you truly were going to be. And so my question is, what was your journey like unpacking your identity and restructuring? Was that very quick or was it a long journey? And are you still in that process? Yeah. You know, 
in terms of ego, you don't have to get rid of ego. To me, this is a this is a a misconception. And I think it's important that people understand that you don't have to get rid of ego. Ego isn't good or bad. What's important is your relationship with it. Because ego is just the vehicle that is used in this human experience for your soul to navigate. It's the car, it's the vehicle. If you met the Dalai Lama, <clears throat> the Dalai Lama has an ego. He just has a different relationship with ego. He's just not attached to ego. He's not attached to identity. And that's the difference. Because here's the thing, if you met the Dalai Lama and you said, hey, Dalai Lama, he would turn around and he would wave back. He can't do that without ego, but he's just not identified with ego, identified with himself as that. And the issue is our relationship with ego, our relationship with our patterns. And, and, and to me, that's what's important. And so ego by itself is neutral. It's just how identified. And so for me, um, yeah, it wasn't, I would love to say, yeah, you know, just rearrange it. No, I think it was a gentle process of observation, a gentle process of questioning, who am I? And the process of going through life and experiences where certain things I really thought I wanted to happen that would define me didn't happen. Certain <clears throat> relationships I thought I was so invested in and identified with didn't happen. Certain things didn't happen. And, and, and all of those experiences, for me, forced me to question, who am I? You know, who am I? Like, who am I and what am I? And so much of who we are and what we are, we identify with as a name and a title. None of that's what we truly are. You know, if everyone listening and imagine you hit your head, just imagine, it's not gonna happen, but imagine you hit your head, you fell down and you end up in hospital. <laughs> you end up in hospital, doctor walks in and he said, hey, uh, Hey, sir, uh, he doesn't refer to you as Christian. He just says, hey, sir, you know, or Ku or whoever. Um, you've lost your, look, you're very lucky to be alive. It's a miracle. You had an accident. Good news is your life. Bad news is you lost your memory forever. <laughs> I mean, what would you say? Okay. And he says, you know, you're, he tells you, <clears throat> your name is Boogawoogoo. Okay. You would nod your head. Uh, okay. Because you can't remember that your name is Christian. Okay. Boogawoogoo. Okay. And this is where you're from. Okay. And this is what you believe. You don't remember anything, so you uh, okay, and this is your life. What would you say? Uh, uh, okay, 
there's not much you could say. And you look around the hospital room, and you're like, okay, I guess my name is Booga Wugu, and this is what I believe, and this is what I'm from. I would ask everyone, you lost your memory and you were in the hospital room. What is the only thing that you could know for sure? For sure. But your name is Booga Wugu, or you believe this, or you believe that. All of those things you've been told. You're Buddhist. You're Jewish. You're Christian. You're, you're Taoist. You're Republican. You're Democrat. You, you, you believe all of that stuff you've been told by someone, program, libertarian, stuff you've been told. That you're in Las Vegas, you're in a, you've been told. But in the hospital room, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. And so many of us, we have all these programs. I, you know, I'm enough, I'm not enough, I'm not beautiful, I'm stupid, I'm not good at math, I'm not an artistic, I'm not this, I'm not that kind of person, I'm not this kind of person. Most of that stuff we've been told by life or we've made certain assumptions and meanings based on experiences that have happened that aren't necessarily based on reality and now we've told ourselves, I'm a bad person. None of that's real, but this is what we tell us. I am X, Y, Z. But in that hospital room, now it becomes our identity because we believe it. I'm not lovable, we tell ourselves. Well, why? Because mom left me when I was eight. And it means I'm not lovable. And we don't really question. Could it mean anything else? No, it means I'm not lovable. Well, could the fact that mom left mean something else? No, well, of course it could, but this is now our, our, our identity. I'm not lovable. And that identity now <clears throat> becomes a way we see the world, the way we frame ourselves. And based on that identity, we go into the world through that lens seeking to reinforce that identity as true. And we now are attracted and attract people into our lives that leave us, abandon us, cheat on us, don't love us to prove to ourselves, see, I'm not lovable. It's true. In that hospital room, I would ask everyone, what's the one thing that you could know for sure? The only thing you could know for sure from your own direct experience not that I'm not lovable or I'm not this or I'm this or I'm not. The only thing you could know for sure in that moment is you, you would look around. The fact that I'm in Las Vegas, <laughs> you've been told you're in Las Vegas, right? If someone told you you were in Bali, you'd be like, I'm in Bali. Even though there's, you know, the Las Vegas Strip, you believe you're in Bali because you've been told. Many of us are mistakenly believing that we are something that we're not because we've been told. The only thing we would know for sure in our own direct experience, if we searched ourselves truly, is we would look around. And all we can really say is, I am he. I, I am. That's it. So whatever we put after I am is not necessarily true. Whatever we put after I am is kind of a story kind of made, making it up. 
but we're not we're not that we, we you know <laughs> growing up in the church there's a quote i'm going to butcher it forgive me but it, it goes something like you know i am that i am it's right that i am that i am i am and so i think when we remember that i am which is beyond body, beyond form, beyond conditioning, beyond stories, beyond identity, that there is a true identity that we are, that is whole, perfect, and complete, just pure I amness. It's free. That's freedom. That's power. That's, that's where it's at. Cool, man. Uh, I just appreciate this authentic conversation, man, and just laying it down. Uh, I mean, just I've been taking so many notes over here and what you're talking about and even just explain a little bit about the ego and the right relationship with ego. Yeah. And then just unpacking this whole thing here as well. And, you know, identity and I am. Am, I think that just resonates so well. And uh, I really appreciate you being on our podcast. And, oh, thank you, man. you know, just the work you're doing, talking about the magic of surrender and how powerful it is and how to embrace that properly and the journey of that. Uh, for those that want to, uh, you have a huge amount of ecosystem going on, a lot of education, a lot of fun stuff. You've been featured in a lot of different places, like I mentioned. How can they, uh, you know, purchase the book? How can they get involved with what you got going on, my man? Um, I appreciate it, man. Um couple of ways the book is available the paperback is available on amazon on amazon right now the magic of surrender buy it there uh, it's a simple step-by-step -step manual on, on living surrender in everyday life and written very easily i wanted i wanted to write it in a way that uh, a 12 year old could read it so so get it on amazon um, my main website Coot blackson k-u-t-e Coot blackson b-l-a-c-k-s-o-m.com check my work out there uh, twice a year, December and July, I do a very special transformation event, taking people through a process of, we'll call it unconditioning in Bali. And that's called Boundless Bliss. So www.boundlessblissbali.com. Uh, my podcast, Soul Talk, and uh, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Coot Blackson, Facebook, Coot Love Now. Awesome, my guys, those links, all those links will be in the description below. So make sure you stop what you're doing. And, you know, I, I think so many times we are categorizational in our surrender. So we may surrender to our business. We may surrender to our marriage or we may surrender to our relationships with other individuals or spiritual. But we don't surrender to, you know, the whole thing holistically. And, you know, I would highly recommend just getting this book and, and consuming this and just being part of what he's got going on. Coot, again, I really appreciate you being on here. Um, I always love to ask my guests before I let you go, is there any last words of wisdom? they like to share with our audience. Yeah, remember you're going to die. Surrender to that. That's that's it's the only guarantee. <laughs> if you're looking for certainty, you're going to die. Jesus died, Buddha died, Mother Teresa died, Gandhi died, you know Mandela died, Bob Marley died, David Bowie died, everyone that's born will die. The moment will come question isn't if it's just when and to me the real quality of life isn't how long you live it's how you live the life that you have and so if death came right now would you be ready and if not why not what's ungiven what's unsaid what's unexpressed what's unforgiven what's unloved because the moment we die and we meet our maker 
none of us can go to God and say, you know, God, can I, can I get a refund on those two years I wasted in that job I hated? Can I get a refund on those five years I wasted in that relationship that I knew wasn't right? And so feel your death, not as a, 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 a morbid thing, but feel your death as a reminder to live the preciousness of every second of this precious life. Life is sacred. What a good perspective and such a massive amount of wisdom. Guys, that is my friend, Coot Blackson. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Evans podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. <laughs>